So really, this sermon uh, is an addendum to last week's. And if you missed last week, uh, I would invite you to go out on the podcast site and download it and listen to it. I I think the title of it was um, Delights of a Thirsty Soul. We talked last week about the fact that every human being is thirsty. Um, And of course, that's what sin and self-absorption is all about. Men and women... uh, running all over the world trying to find some way to quench the, as the famous theologian said, quench the raging and inextinguishable thirst in their soul. And we looked at Psalm 34 verses 1, pardon me, 37 verses 1 through 4 last week, and as I said earlier, um, I got stuck on verse 4. So let me ask you just to dovetail from Last week, as we quoted C.S. Lewis, are you a half-hearted creature? Those of you who were here will understand the context of the question. Are you far too easily pleased? Have you settled for narcissism and sin when God has said to you, come and have all of me that you desire? Lewis talks about the fact it's not that mankind's desire is too strong. The problem with mankind is his desire is too weak. He has settled for sin when God is available. We have given ourselves to the affections of the things of the world when God has created and redeemed us to delight in Him principally. Yes, there are thousands of subordinate delights even in this fallen world. But most of mankind says, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. It's what C.S. Lewis is saying. Much of mankind is far too easily pleased. It's what John Piper, the famous American preacher that I quote often, It's what he learned from C.S. Lewis. It's what he learned from the 18th century theologian, American theologian, Jonathan Edwards. And it's what I've learned from Piper, and it's why I love him. Um, I grew up in a church where Christianity was presented in such a way that it's basically your duty. It's your duty. Good Christians are dutiful. Well, there's there's some element of truth there. But the greater truth, the broader truth, The more breathtaking truth is, God says, come and delight in Me. Come and find your joy in Me. It's what Christianity really is, right? Ultimately, Psalm 37.4 is the definition of born-again Christianity. We are people who delight in Jesus Christ. We talked about it last week. We don't merely believe in Him, as we talked about, Any rational person believes in an adequate first cause. God must be there. It's not simply that we believe in Him. We delight in Him. Amen? That's what born-again Christianity is. I delight in Jesus Christ. I delight in ordering my life around His words. I delight in following Him. I delight in obeying Him. It's all Psalm 37.4, man. It's just, that's why I got stuck last week. It's not my fault. It's the Bible's fault. There's so much truth there. There's just so much truth 
there. God says, come and delight in Me. He calls us to be... Okay, someone tell me, what does it mean to be a hedonist? What does it mean to be a hedonist? I know you know this. Some of you know this. What does it mean to be a hedonist? Okay, it's a, it, exactly. It's the pursuit and worship or desire uh, 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 for pleasure above all things. And of course, it's always used in a, a worth, worldly or fleshly context. But ultimately, Christians are the consummate hedonist in that we are seeking our pleasure in God. We are not far too easily pleased. (laughs) We are not half-hearted creatures. We are not lukewarm creatures hoping to find some temporal satisfaction in some sin or some ambition or some accumulation. Most of us in this room are old enough to have already learned that all of that's a dead end. That does not satisfy my heart and soul. I must have God. I must have God. Every thinking, rational human being understands I must have God. I must have God. That raging and inextinguishable thirst that we talked about last week. So to pursue maximum pleasure, we would have to pursue God. And God says, here I am. God says, here I am. You can have me. You can have all of me that you want. I I think this is a breathtaking invitation that comes off the Bible. And men have taken this and turned it into brain-dead, heart-dead religion. I hate that. I'm sorry. But I hate that. God says, come and delight it. Let it start right now. Let it start today. And it will never end. This is the the invitation of God. We have been created and redeemed to delight in God. Not merely the blessings of God, as many false preachers and teachers uh, preach these days. Health, wealth, and prosperity. Oh, those are wonderful things. But we don't worship the blessings of God. We worship God. We don't delight in all that God can do for us, and He can do a lot, but that's not principally why we love Him. We love Him because He's God and He saved us. And He's redeemed us from what we deserve. We talked about it five weeks ago. Beloved, do you realize when you come in here, we talk about the most important thing that could ever be talked about. Do you know? Do you realize that this is the, the, the most important 45 minutes of your week? Do you know that? To meet with the people of God? Do you know that nobody else in the world is going to tell you these things? The media is never going to tell you. The world's not going to tell you that you were made for God. You were made to delight in God. The world is full of lies trying to get you to run down blind and, and dead-end alleys. Oh, sex will make it happen for me. Accomplishment will make it happen for me. Materialism will make it happen for me. Ego, vanity, pride. Oh, that, 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 that dream that I have, that, that one unrealized dream will just make it all perfect for me. Can I tell you, as a 61-year-old guy, that's a, that's, that's a lie. It's a falsehood. We've talked about it. No matter what you gain or accomplish, once the afterglow's gone, it takes about 15 minutes. 
you already want something else. It's just the human heart. God has put eternity in our hearts, beloved. So we're not in love with the blessings of God. We are in love with God. It's Psalm 37, 4. It's what I told you last week. When you come to me for counseling, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what the problem is, the trial is, the, 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 the cause of self-pity, the temptation or the sin. It doesn't matter. What I'm going to say to you is Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in God. You got a financial problem? You got a relational problem? You got a career problem? You've got a family problem. You've got a marriage problem. Delight yourself in God. And allow Him to work through it and sort it out for you. Delight yourself in God. It's my counsel to everyone who comes to me. And I said this last week and I want to say it again this week. Our problems and self-pity and temptations are never our real problems. Our problems, self-pity, and temptations merely reveal our problem. Our problem is we have not delighted in God as we ought. That's always the core problem. Whoever comes and talks to me for counseling, it always comes back to, are you delighting in Jesus Christ? Are you fighting to delight in Jesus Christ? Are you fighting for that every day? That's true Christianity, beloved. That's true Christianity. As we noted last week, the core issue in every temptation and sin, those who commit adultery, those who are consumed with materialism, those who want to divorce their spouses, those who engage in uh, extramarital sex, those who pursue success, acclaim power and money above all else, those who look at pornography, those who seek escape with entertainment, drugs and alcohol, the list is endless. They're trying to feel the desire, the, the raging and inextinguishable thirst that resides in the heart of mankind. These are symptoms of us not finding our delight in God. So, let me ask you this question. What could God give you and me that would show God to be most loving? I've asked you this many times, and I think many of you know the answer. What would God give to us to show that He is most loving? Health and wealth and prosperity, of course. Wrong! He would give us Himself, and that's exactly what He's given us. That's what He told Abraham. I am your reward. I am your reward. And that's true for every believer. Every believer by faith which Abraham was. God is our reward. God gives us Himself. God invites us to delight in Him. It's the most oft-repeated command in the Bible, particularly in the Psalms. You remember C.S. Lewis's uh, stumbling block when he was still an atheist. He was trying to work through this thing about Christianity. And do any of you remember his stumbling block in the Psalms? What C.S. Lewis stumbled over in the Psalms? Anybody remember? God kept saying, praise me, praise me, praise me. And Lewis said he sounded like an old woman looking for her next compliment. But what Lewis came to understand was that praise is the consummation of joy. God's people must praise God. 
He is our joy. It's the consummation of enjoyment to praise. You know, the wife praises her husband. The husband praises his wife. The hiker praises the view. <laughs> the critic praises the painting. I mean, we praise that which we love. And, and, and when God says praise me, you know what He's saying? Well, I want, what I want you to understand, I've said this to you before, but very few people get this. What God is saying to us when He says praise me, God is saying come and enjoy me. That's what... That's the invitation coming off the pages of Scripture. When God said, it's not that God has a deficiency in His ego. It's not about that. It's about you. It's about your deficiency. It's not about His deficiency. He has none. <laughs> you add nothing to God. You add nothing to God. God is self-contained and self-sufficient apart from creation. He doesn't need you to be happy. He's infinitely happy already. But you need Him. And that's the invitation. Come. God says, come and praise me. I hope when you see the command in the Bible to praise in God, to delight God, to rejoice in God, I hope you understand what, what God is saying. He's saying, come and have me. Come and rejoice in me. Come and find your pleasure in me. So tonight, uh, in Psalm 37, 4, uh, yeah, I, I just had to, I had to do this because I exhorted you to delight in God, but I did not give you the prescription to delight in God, although many of you will be familiar with these points, and uh, it will not be news to you. The question is, what do we do if we don't delight in God? What do we do if we don't delight in God? That's the question that I want to try to answer tonight. David's an old man and he writes the words. I, I, David's been around the block a few times. He, he, he knows what's important and he knows what's not important. And David says, delight yourself in the Lord. But what if we don't? What if we don't? What is the solution? What if we really do love ourselves more than we love God? What if we really love our families more than we love God? What if we really love our careers more than we love God? What if we love our leisure and our stuff and our sin more than we love God? Well, we've got a huge problem, don't we? We have an eternally dire problem if that's where we may find ourselves. What do we do if we find ourselves not delighting in God? So I want to, this is what I want to touch on. I, this is not an exhaustive kind of thing. These are just four or five principles that you and I, that God has given us to be able to fight for delight, right? In a fallen world where we struggle with real and hard things. First, let me say, there's some of you here who make no claim to be a Christian. You just happen to be here in the providence of God. Uh, this sermon's for you. I'm going to challenge you to come to Christ and be saved. That you may find delight in God. 
Some of you may be nominal Christians. You're, you're just church members. You just attend church when it's convenient. You really have no passionate love for Jesus or desire to follow Him and obey Him. You more or less inherited a Christian culture. This sermon is for you. I challenge you to put down your nominalism, to open your hands with God, and give yourself away. Some of you may be just distracted Christians. You may really be born again, but you've taken your eye off your first love. And you've become distracted with some problem or some desire here in the world. You've allowed something to eclipse the attention that used to be paid to Jesus Christ. The time that used to be given to Jesus Christ. This sermon is for you. I challenge you to put down whatever worldly trinket it is or temptation and turn and look at God and delight in Him. And some of you here may be actively delighting in God. So what this sermon is is an exhortation for you to continue to do that and to go deeper, right? We never arrive as Christians. We never, ever, ever arrive. God is always calling us to a deeper place. So if you are here tonight and you are actively delighting in God, then I'm just going to call you to go deeper, right? That's the point. So, a couple of weeks ago, I think I mentioned to you that great promise in Jeremiah 29:13 through 14. Jim, I, I don't, I'm not delighting in God as I ought. Here's the first point I want to make. You need to seek the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. We all start in that place. We must seek the Lord. We must seek God. And what is the promise of God when we seek Him? I'm not talking about just showing up for church when it's convenient. I'm talking about seeking God. Like you've never sought anything else in your life. Seek God. God says, I'll be found by you. <laughs> it's one of the most breathtaking promises in the Bible. And those of you who were there uh, Wednesday night at Young Adult Bible Study, we, we were looking at Romans 3, verse 11, right? There are none who seek for God. Well, wait, Jim. This sounds like uh, a dilemma. God says there are none who seek for me. But what do we know from Scripture? Who is the seeker in the Bible? Who is the seeker? Who seeks whom? God seeks His people, right? And then God's non-seeking people begin to seek Him. As God does that heart transplant, right? As He takes out that heart of stone and puts in that heart of flesh, we begin to seek Him. And when we begin to seek Him, we found that we've been sought all along. This is the beauty of the Gospel. One of the many facets and beauty of the Gospel. We are the salt for. We are the salt for. So if we're going to obey Psalm 37.4, we must seek God. Biblical Christianity is never passive. It is the most passionate pursuit a human being can embark on. And I'm just going to say to you, if it's, if it's not that important to you, you haven't encountered the living God yet. It can't be some passive endeavor that I do at my convenience. That's not born-again biblical Christianity. It never has been. It never will be. 
It requires all that we are. As I say to you all the time, you have to be all in or you're not in. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about the drive and motivation and direction of your life. I'm pointing at Christ and I sin and I mess up and yeah, I've made a mess of some things, but, but I'm pointing at Christ. I'm repenting of my sin and I'm moving toward Him. And I want to follow Him. More than anything else in my life, I want to follow Him and make Him look great in my orbit. Abraham left his home. Moses left his herds. Matthew left his counting table. Peter left his boat. Paul left his religion. This is not about what you do for a living. This is about desiring and loving Jesus Christ. It always looks like this. It doesn't mean you have to leave your job. Some of you may. But it means you found your delight in God. I was looking at it this week. What is it? What is God's command to His people? What does He say to us? Actually, if you read the Bible, you know, most people, if you ask them this question, they'd say, well, God says, I must believe in Him. I must place my faith in Him. Yes, that's true. But that's not all God says. God says a ton of stuff. And I just did a really quick uh, survey. God says, repent. God says, believe. God says, know me. God says, trust me. God says, confess. God says, receive. God says, follow. God says, obey. God says, love, etc., etc., etc. Do you get the point? What's the point? You got to be all in. It's not just mental assent to some stuff. You got to be all in with Christ. It's, it's a lifestyle. Do you hear it? It's a lifestyle. That's what it means, beloved. It's a Hebrews 11 thing. We believe in such a way everything changes. And we believe in such a way that whatever Jesus Christ calls us to do, we will do it. Ultimately, sometimes we're a little slow getting there. And I make my own confession here. But once we understand it's God's will, we will delight to pursue it. This is a pathway to delighting in God. Repenting, believing, knowing, worshiping, trusting, confessing, receiving, following, obeying, and loving. It's what seekers do. It's what it looks like to delight in God. So let me pick out this repentance of sin thing. You guys have all heard this. If you've been in the church at all, you understand to, to come to Christ, you must repent of your sin. What does it mean? It means I changed my mind about everything. Where, uh, where I used to think I was first, now I know Christ is first. Where I used to think it was all about me, now I know it's all about Jesus. When I used to think that I, my, my, my principal job was to acquire and, and, and please myself, now I know my principal function on the planet is to please God. Right? So, this is what repentance is. Acts 26.20, God says, Repent and turn to Me and perform deeds appropriate to repentance. Repentance is the ever-present, ongoing work of the believer who's working to increase his delight in God. You know, some, when we come to Christ, sin doesn't stop in our life, does it? 
It's always there. It's a Romans 7 thing. That fight is always going on. It's always going on. We're always discovering sin in our life and we're always struggling to put it down and to get past it, right? It's what God is saying. And it's what I'm saying to you. This is one of the principles of delighting in God. You must repent of your sin. If you have known sin in your life that you are tolerating and have no intention of sinning, or pardon me, repenting from, you cannot delight in God. You simply cannot delight in God. So what's the pathway to delighting in God? One, one uh, point, you must repent of your sin. You must change your mind and thereby change your actions, right? With respect to sin. You will not let sin reign in your life. You will fight it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, as you cooperate with Him in your sanctification, you will get the victory. You will get the victory. So let's just say what it is, right? If I don't want to repent of my sin, if I love my sin more, then I love God. That pretty much tells us everything we need to know, doesn't it? It, it tells us that we are in premeditated rebellion against our Creator. That's what it means. And we cannot delight in God if that is who we are and where we are. So, first, we must seek God. Second, we, we must repent of all known sin. And that's a lifelong proposition for every true believer. Thirdly, we must be students of the Word of God. This is, this is another... This is another pathway to delight, right? It's, it's a prescription for delight. It's a vehicle for persevering in delight. I've never met that mythical creature, the biblically illiterate person who is genuinely walking with Jesus Christ. Now, I meet a lot of people who don't know anything about the Bible. They've never, they don't ever open it. They don't give it five minutes during the week. They're not really interested in what it says and they claim to be a Christian. i got to tell you, that's an oxymoron. That is an oxymoron. You cannot love and delight in God if you do not know who God is. You cannot love and delight in God if you do not know what God's done. You cannot love and delight in God if you do not know what God has promised. But if you know these things, you will love and delight in God. If you have no appetite for the Word of God, I have to tell you, that's a, that's a key indicator that you've got a lot of work to do. You may not know Him at all if you, if you have no appetite for the truth. If you have no appetite. Let me give you this analogy. You're deeply in love with this man or this woman. You're deeply in love with most of us in here have been in love, okay? You get a letter from them. And you see it's from them. And you look at it. And you throw it on the shelf. And you never open it. Do you understand? Listen, I've been in love. I am in love. But I've been in love like so hard that you can't stand it. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of love? 
And every word I got from my beloved, man, I had to, I had to know immediately what they said. I had to know. I wanted the letter. I couldn't wait to get a new letter. You understand what I'm saying? And God has written this letter to you, His love letter to you, and you say you love Him, but you never go there. You never read His Word. How can that be anything but a lie? And let me just say, you know the Bible. I'm going to say this just because I love to say it. 66 books, 40 authors, 1,500 years, three languages, and three continents. With a common storyline, no factual error, and no doctrinal contradiction. One seminary professor said, go find another book like that. And the student rightly said, that's impossible. And that's the point. It has all the hallmarks of a supernatural book. All of us in here who are born again, we understand it is a supernatural book. That book speaks to us. We get it. It is the Word of God speaking to us. The Word of God changing us. Beloved, you want to be a disciple? You've got to be in the Word. You can't go with Jesus. You can't go where Jesus is going to call you to go in obedience. If you don't know His Word, you can't go there. You won't be able to go there. You'll be afraid to go there. Sometimes you'll still be afraid. But if you know who He is, you'll go because He's a competent God. Right? you just gotta, you got to immerse yourself in the Word. I know some of you think you don't have time. I'm telling you, you don't have time not to is what I'm telling you if you're serious about your Christianity. It's a pathway to delighting in God, knowing who He is and what He's done and what He's promised. Just a quick quote. quote 1 Peter 1, 24-25 For you have been born again, not of the seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding Word of God. The grass wither and the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord abides forever. How does saving faith come? Someone tell me. How does saving faith come? What does the Bible say? By signs and wonders and miracles, right? No! People, you say, Jim, you should have healing services and stuff in here. Listen, I'm after something way more important than that. You understand what I'm saying? I'm after something way more important than the physical healing. I'm after spiritual healing. I'm after a born-again soul. That's what I'm after. And when I preach the Bible, when I do a halfway decent job with some integrity, right? God does miracles. Lives are changed. I hear it all the time. I still get emails from people who were here 10 years ago. <laughs> you know? God's Word. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing the Word of God. It's the manna thing. Exodus 16. God says you go gather it a day at a time for one day. It's a beautiful illustration of what it should be like for you and me as we seek to delight in God. So, we aggressively seek God. We proactively repent of our sin. We relentlessly pursue God in the Word. Fourthly, the God-delighter, the true God-delighter, will be in a daily intimate conversation with God. What do we call that? What is that called? What is the, the daily conversation we have with God? What's it called? Prayer. 
And I know that many people have this spooky, mystical, religious view of prayer that I, you know, I need to be in a robe and wear a pointed hat or do something silly. No, what you need to do is just have an honest conversation with God. That's what God wants. An honest conversation with you. That's all He wants. An honest conversation. You know, uh, the Thessalonians passage, I forget what it is right now, but um, it talks about pray without what? Someone tell me. Ceasing. You know what it means? It means every day I'm, I'm spring-loaded. God is with me every day. And when the trial comes, oh Lord. And when the blessing comes, oh Lord. And, and, and all through the day I'm talking to God about what's going on in my heart and my mind and in my circumstance. I'm talking to God about it. And I'm hearing Him. I'm listening. That's the other thing about prayer that, that is really a huge mistake in the modern church is that we think it's just give me, give me, give me. Give me God, give me God, give me God. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with biblical prayer. <laughs> That's, that doesn't have anything to do with biblical prayer. Yes, make, your, make your, uh, your petitions known to God. He invites us to do it. But, but how does Jesus and Paul ultimately pray? We talked about this in early January. Where does Paul, the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ end up in their prayers? Where do they end up? God's will. This is where the true believer ends up. It's not give me, give me, give me. It's I make my petition, but then I, I learn to, to pray like Jesus. I pray like the Apostle Paul. Lord God, Your will be done. And as Paul says, therefore, I'm well contented. If God says no, I'm well contented with the no. Because I love God and I trust God. And if I get the no, I need the no. The no's good for me, right? That's what prayer is. It's a big deal with God. Six times in the New Testament, God says, devote yourself to having that conversation with Me. He uses the word prayer in the Bible, but it's the same thing. It's talking. What do we talk about in January? It's sitting in our Father's lap, talking and listening, and submitting to the will of God. That's, that's biblical prayer. That's what... It is. Luke 18.1, Jesus says, Pray at all times and do not lose heart. Here are two key elements with respect to prayer. Implicit here. One, our conversation with God is always going on. Pray at all times. It's always going on. It doesn't stop. I don't just pray for three minutes uh, at the beginning of the day or two minutes at the end of the day. I'm talking to God all day. Right? And i got to tell you if, you, if you get into this practice, this discipline... Prevents a lot of foolishness in your life. <laughs> it prevents a lot of sin in your life. You may come across temptation, but if you're in a constant conversation with God, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot uh, easier for you to turn away from that temptation than if you're not talking with God, if you're not having that conversation. So, we aggressively seek God. What is the what does the one who wants to delight in God do? We seek God. We repent of our sin. We pursue God in the Scriptures. We incessantly engage in that daily conversation that God calls prayer. And the last point is this. We will be pushing the envelope of obedience. We'll be pushing the envelope of obedience. I'll tell you something I said in my book that I've gotten a lot of comments on. 
Some of you can't remember the last time you took a genuine risk in obedience to Jesus Christ. And I'm just talking about little bitty risks. Some of you can't remember the last time you believed Jesus in a brand new, scary kind of way. <laughs> it's what He calls you to, beloved. He's calling you to an, ex an expanded life of obedience. i got to tell you, I'm a 61-year-old man. That's where it is. That's where joy is. To obey God in a new way. To push the envelope like you never have before. To take a risk in obedience. Whatever He calls you to do, that's where joy is. That's where satisfaction is. Everything the world tells you is a lie. It's a bunch of garbage. It'll never fill your soul. You'll die with an empty soul if you chase the world. But if you learn to just obey God, even when it's scary, even when it's risky, even when it's hard, <laughs> you know what happens? John 14.21 happens. I know some of you are sick of hearing about John 14.21, but it's the verse that, one of the verses God used to change my life. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I'll show myself to you. Don't you know that every act of obedience is a God encounter? It's a God encounter. God reveals Himself. It's what He does. If you back away from growing in your Christianity, you're backing away from delight in God. If you shrink back from giving yourself completely and totally to God in in any obedience that He calls you to, you're cutting yourself off from pure joy. I love First Chronicles 16.9 when I was thinking about these things. Um, it came to my mind. You guys know this, but listen to what He says. Listen to what God says. Listen to what He says if we'll obey Him. He says, My eyes move to and fro throughout the whole earth that I may strongly support those whose heart is mine. Listen, the beautiful thing about, about big obedience, like I said, it's a God encounter. And He's a faithful God. He never doesn't show up. He never doesn't show up. He always shows up. I, I challenge you, read the Old and New Testament and you find a spot where God doesn't show up. When He promised to, you find me a spot in His Word where the promise-keeping God fails to keep a promise. You find it for me. You'll not find it. You'll not find it. It's not in the Word. So, Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. We talked about this and just briefly, last week we talked about it. What are the desires of the born-again heart? The will of God, as Bertha said. It's the will of God. That's what the born-again soul ultimately wants. 
Delight yourself in the Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart, which ultimately is Him. So, what if we don't delight in God? Here's the prescription for delight. You aggressively seek God. You proactively repent of all known sin. You relentlessly pursue God in His Word. You incessantly engage in daily conversation with God. It's called prayer. And you fearlessly follow God into glad, reckless joy. Obedience. And if all those things are true of you, if you're doing those things in your personal life, then it will have a corporate expression. It's what we're doing today. You'll come to... You'll find a local church who honors God, who preaches the Word. You'll find the local church. And you'll be there on Sunday, right? It's not a matter of, of, of uh, simply convenience. It's a priority for the one who delights in God. It's a delight to be with God's people. It's a delight to sing His praises. It's a delight to bring Him an offering. It's a delight to call out to Him in corporate prayer. It's a delight to hear the Word of God preached. Say, Jim, you exhorted me last week to delight in God, but you didn't tell me how. Now you know. Most of you already knew these things. <laughs> I challenge you, life's way too short. Beloved, it's just way too short to waste your life running down blind alleys that the world says is important. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. It is Christianity. <laughs> it is. It is. That's what it is. That separates the pseudo-Christian church from the born-again remnant. And that is, we don't just say we believe in Him. We really believe in Him. We delight in Him. Amen? We delight in Him. We delight in Him. Let's pray together. Lord, what a beautiful, what a breathtaking invitation. You say, come. Come and find your pleasure in me. And I will fill your soul for a day in eternities. It's your invitation. Lord God, some of us in this room need to hear that. We need to be changed by that. We need not to be deceived anymore. 
We need to learn how to delight in our Creator and our Redeemer and our reigning King. Lord God, help us. Help us to incorporate these disciplines into our life. If we don't have them in our life now, Lord, that we would learn how. That we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Thank You, Father, that You meet us in this humble place as we open Your Word. Thank You that You are always challenging us to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Thank You, Father, that that's always a reality. We just don't become a Christian and sit on the couch the rest of our life. We become a Christian and we walk with God. Thank You, Father, for this lofty and beautiful, inexpressibly beautiful privilege. We give all honor and glory to the name of Jesus. It's His name that we pray in. Amen. Let me just close with a benediction. Let's stand. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Go in peace, beloved. Go in peace. Delight in God this week. Delight in God this week. Work to delight in God. Fight to delight in God. You say, Jim, I woke up this morning and I was dull. I know. I wake up like that every day. But you have to, you have to, you have to give yourself to, you have to give yourself to the disciplines of delighting in God. I commend you. I commend you. Delight in God this week. Have a great week. God bless.